Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, I'm Nico, and you can find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me at TK Elemental. And this is X's for Podcast. Now, it's been really exciting for us here on X's for Podcast. We'd had an unbroken streak from September 2018 through November 2022. And at that point, the team decided to uh, make some changes to how we did stuff, and we jumped over to YouTube and it has been amazing growing our brand there, sort of bringing some stuff together. But it kind of turns out there's just a little too much comics to fit in three weekly broadcasts over on YouTube. So uh, we're back to making some amazing comics broadcasts here on X's for Podcast, where it all started. And it's, you know, exciting to get back to the roots of just uh, talking about this thing that we love so much and you know our journey has changed a bunch over the last year in terms of how we relate to comics and i think it's been interesting figuring out how we are working with our kind of new perspective on comics and how we're also covering all the other stuff that we love but man i'm kind of just excited to just be sitting here talking with you like this again me too. And I really love that one of the first things you said is that our approach to comics has changed pretty significantly in the last year. And part of that has to do with the origin of the show. If you go back to the very first episode, this was meant to be a look at basically the Claremont era of Uncanny X-Men and uh, with a couple of people who wanted to read a couple of different uh, pieces from that era with me. And we find ourselves now, five years later, looking at a very different Marvel Universe landscape and uh, we jumped to cover the Krakoan era with Hawks Pox and kind of never looked back. We ended up kind of losing the classic books. We would go back and do something a little bit classic every now and then. And as TK, uh, you came to be one of the really guiding presences on the show. We stepped into a world that I kind of never imagined. And like that whole spider universe that we jumped into uh, really gave this show that tie back to looking at older books that we'd lost and it was just such a hard time because I loved everything we were doing but man we were we were doing a lot in the years uh 2021 2022 and uh it was a crazy amount of editing workload to keep up with and you know it was all comics uh and as much as we love comics and boy do we love comics uh we also love tv shows we love games we love movies uh, we love, uh, I, my favorite thing in the world is a good audiobook. So there was a lot of other stuff that we wanted to discuss, uh, not all of which lent itself to this format in the same way. Um, and it was really great to spend some time focusing on all that other stuff we love in, in some ways, just to get kind of some perspective about how we felt about comics. Because the other thing that has happened is comics have changed how they feel about comics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that perhaps 
Uh, I'm doing this whole big thing, you know, for trying to be positive on the way comics are changing. And, you know, I'm trying to recognize where it's not my book anymore. It's, it's just not my book. And it could be my book again shortly, but right now it's not my book. And I'm trying to see that really healthy, which is what's making sort of parting ways with regular weekly must read every single word that comes out X-Men readership in light of not just Hellfire Gala 3, but so much more. It's made it a little bit easier because I'm not saying, you know what? X-Men sucks now and I don't want to read it. What I'm saying is these stories are probably not the stories for me. We all have friend groups that like we spend all our time with some years and then, you know, maybe next year we see them six or seven times and it'll pick back up when it picks back up. That's kind of got to just be what it is with comics. Yeah. uh, You know, I think we all kind of agreed as a fandom to go hard for Krakoa and for the Krakoan era and, um, you know, really to work and play around that. And I think that was very fun. Uh, But that started in 2019 and it's, we're getting close to five years now. And I think the idea that we would all just do the same thing the whole time uh, doesn't really make, make a ton of sense because the books were changing. Uh, the, the release mentality changed, the creators changed. And I think for some people to say like, not even that these books are bad or that I'm stepping away in, in any kind of anger or upset, but like, I maybe just want to read these differently. Maybe for, fall of x what i want to do is wait for all of the minis to be fully published and then read them all at once and just sort of like know where i stand for the next era that's not an invalid way to read um and it doesn't have to mean anything bad but i think sometimes comic fandom really seizes up at the idea that we're not all there, you know, right when our local comic book shop opens on Wednesday to get the books and have them all read so that we can all talk first thing, you know, first thing Wednesday. Uh, Cause that's what we were doing for so long. We were some weeks like rushing to the shop at noon or downloading our books at like 6 AM and talking about them by 1 PM. People were like using their lunch breaks to try and get this stuff out because it became so hyper competitive that, you know, not even like trying to be like the state of things, but kind of like why there are writer strikes and why there are actor strikes right now is because the nature of how media has become so hyper competitive reached a point where like, if we wanted to have an opinion about immortal X-Men number one, the day it came out, we had to have an opinion about it the day it came out. And then if, Everybody didn't have a shop that would sneak them a copy, which is, you know, being so cracked down on right now. And it's, you know, they're really coming at shops hard about that. If you didn't have that advantage, you couldn't read till that Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. And so, like, it reached a point where trying to manage a group pack of creators and creatives themselves who were also fans trying to express that fandom, it just became untenable, kind of as a result of, in many ways, the transformation of comics. It used to be that like a solicit being released two months early was to get you excited. But something we've talked about is like, there's news about X-Men comics in February <laughs> and it's August and that's six months away. 
that's too far to be telling me to get hype, not because I don't want to look forward to things six months from now, but because I know you're going to stop hyping it three or four times in the middle and you're going to try and hype other stuff. So I think all of that, and please have as many responses as you want. I think I just want to say that like, I'm definitely not walking away from X-Men. I've read a ton of what's come out for Fall of X already. I just think we're at a place where with so much of this being miniseries and like so much of it, like double and triple shipping in a month, you just maybe need to wait the three months for things to finish, to have a real opinion outside of craftsmanship and form dissection, which I often think is best suited to a visual. I completely agree. And I think uh, one of the things I've been realizing lately is that, um, if you do the analysis, especially on some of these minis week by week, you really run into this thing where there is such a, a hype for the first issue to figure out what the series is about, what we're looking at here. And then the enthusiasm kind of dies in the middle, but that's not a bad place for a story to be that middle part where a writer does some of their best character work where an artist does some of their best visual work where you know uh torin grunbeck's realm of x just started uh this we're recording this on on thursday it was out on wednesday uh i'm really excited to see what torin grunbeck does with a a character like typhoid mary who i love very much um but I think that compared to the hype engine that we expect, that book's going to sag a little bit issues two, three, and four. And I don't want to treat it like it hasn't done well. When what I mean is I want to, I got really hyped for the first issue. I want to see where the story goes. I want to read the finale and I want to evaluate the thing as a whole. But I think those middle three issues aren't going to be the most exciting, but they might be where Torin Grunbeck establishes herself as the modern voice writer who voices Mary Walker or maybe she's that for curse who knows but I just I'd gotten in such a place of like each week it's all got to be bangers all the time we got to talk about the most exciting stuff and you know maybe some of this really needs a little bit of room to breathe because when you're saying that the issues in the middle are going to sag I don't think that's a reflection of necessarily the writer but like, so something I'm working on right now that NFTK you're also working on is we're preparing a pretty major project that we have been promising for about a year now. And in the process of preparing for the finally here, J. Michael Straczynski Spider-Man coverage, which you might have caught the preview from the the, four we, the format we tried over on YouTube. Uh, I just don't feel like it captured the magic. So I kept it up on a Monday for an archive release. You know, Mondays have been kind of like an archive release and Thursdays are being new content for us for a little bit. So I kept that there because I wanted it there for uh, sort of like posterity. But we're redoing it. You know, we're, we're starting fresh. We're going to give it to you the same way we did MC2, right? And I was noticing how something would happen in a book and everybody's doing these six-issue arcs. But unless it was J. Michael Straczynski's Amazing Spider-Man, everybody was sort of told, just kind of toe the line of what JMS is doing. And it winds up being these books can't really, without spoiling each other in some ways, where if one book goes out of shipping sequence, 
all the cards fall. They can't really do too much to change the premise that's explored in the first issue before the final issue without running the risk of, I guess I want to say, corrupting the storytelling. One of the things that we look back on is the beauty of early Hickman-led era Krakoa, but without that singular person, and I don't mean this mean, but I kind of can't imagine that there wasn't a lot of, no, you can't do that, that's happening somewhere else, or someone else is doing something similar. That fine control that so many creators were kind of like, this is a little hard to write around, and that Hickman said was unfair of him to have. That sort of level of extreme editorial, I think it really does hold these books back from being able to transform. So outside of making everything a one shot, which I don't Mm -hmm. think is what everybody wants, I think... We're, I mean, I'd be happy if everything was a 60-page one-shot that I paid $7.99 for, really serious with you. But um, I think we are kind of beholden to this idea that the middle is going to sag, and it's just not fair to judge creators or works on the format pushed on them by the, I'm not even being funny, but the capitalist system of things have got to make money for these stores. I like that you brought up, though, the you know, one-issue the 60 page mini um, or one shot because in some ways I almost feel like that is less of an evil than pushing these five issue one shots that do the same thing, which is, uh, you know, if they, if the appeal is there and the marketing is there, the number one sells really, really high. And then it's just the slow die off to five. And then everybody goes, well, yeah, of course that person's not getting an ongoing, like their last mini didn't sell well. Um, But really it's just not, it's not a story format that I think works for everybody. And we've really fallen away from doing ongoing stories and it might just be that something more like a graphic novel format is the better way to go and i'm not saying that in this way of like oh it's gotten so bad that all we're gonna do is one shots now like we went from ongoings to minis to one shots i more just mean a thing that we talk about a lot is this industry is clearly changing a ton and none of us have any right answers, especially as fans and readers and people who do not get to make decisions and are not privy to decision making in any kind of immediate way. We're just kind of looking at evidence the best that we have and kind of doing this uh, criticism slash archaeology of fandom in the best way that we can. And, you know, at the end of the day, I don't really hate the idea that, you know, in a particular three month period, I might get a ton of longer single issue stories that a writer can feel really good about the story that they told in the book that they got. And then it's not a challenge to try and sell two, three, and four. And everybody maybe gets something. It's a compromise where everybody gets something they want out of it. Because in that exact same regard, if we're talking about books that are sort of the one-shot event, Hellfire Gala. If I had to read another Hellfire Gala like the first one, I would go bonkers. I really, by the end of that first Hellfire Gala, was miserable. I was so unhappy that it felt like every book we covered was leading up to the Hellfire Gala. 
And then every book we covered was in the Hellfire Gala. And I'm serious when I say that some books literally were saying that they were the fallout from the previous Hellfire Gala, while the next title was saying we're setting up next year's. There was this insane overlap where, like, we've reached this point where, and I'm so glad we're getting to um, actually like our first point on our uh, on our little timeline we're supposed to be covering, but we've really reached a point where so often these sort of like issue run up problems where it's either how long it takes or like you get prelude to the event and then sometimes you actually get like a little arc called like road to the prelude to and it, it just gets to be so much so what we're here to say is that we're still going to be covering regular new modern x-men comics daredevil spider-man all of it we're just probably going to be covering it a little bit less these are five issues that just came out because uh, the other thing I never want to spend my time doing again is organizing a spreadsheet where I'm like, Jesus, God, okay, Three Moon Knight came out last month. Okay, so Three Moon Knight this month. And then Marvel is doing two Miracle Man specials. None of them have new material. Oh, one of them has one page of new material. Okay, so, and then they released nine X-Men books yesterday and for today but they're all infinity comics so literally a bear could shit in the woods and no one would care i just can't do this anymore so no more individual issues we're looking at stories at lines at months at eras it's still the same thing you want just better unified and i'm saying you want because literally i'm going by the the messages i have gotten in the in the nine months we have not been producing regular ongoing podcast uh the way people were looking for it We've uh, I've gotten some crazy number of messages, and this is what people have said they want to see come back, and this is where my heart is at. This is where TK's heart is at, so this is what we're doing. And I'm stoked for it. Now, the other thing I want to point out is we have so many sub-products, uh, but they're all very above par. They're all very good. But we have so many like sub-shows and stuff. I just want to do a little bit of a rundown real quick. Uh, we are, as I mentioned... Uh, gonna keep covering daredevil but that's partially because uh, i've long had a few side hustles right uh and instead of keeping them all side we're gonna like squish them all together right big blended show family and so i'd been making the billy club an examination of daredevil from the beginning with tori sheehan and show producer husband extraordinaire kevo and uh we're finally just gonna roll that over into x's for podcast now that the podcast is getting on its feet under the show era right we are going to stop having archive mondays mondays is going to be like a thing and then you know thursdays will be some new content and uh, one of those thing is either going to be our in- examination of j michael straczynski's amazing spider-man and its era it's going to be the billy club which we're running through the first 20 episodes in a compressed edited form uh, on mondays for now and then uh, when that's all done we're going to kick off with a new season in a slightly different format looking at it by year it's going to be really exciting and uh, we're going to keep doing some of those Wednesday reposts. Not every Wednesday over on the YouTube channel is comic related, so uh, there won't always be something to repost. But, uh, man, we've got like four product lines going on this show now. Because we still got lots to say. And there's fans for all of it, which is what's really cool. Something I love about making a podcast that I, I love about making a YouTube show, but like I think I can kind of see it a little bit more with a podcast in terms of like being able to like export numbers and stuff. Like, we have listeners that come for the MC2 stuff. 
we have listeners that come just for the X-Men stuff. And so they would skip it when we would do like six episodes in a row of just Doctor Strange, right? Mm-hmm. They would, uh, wouldn't pay attention to any of my, this is a Conan omnibus breaking news story stuff. But then we have people who literally only come for that. Like I literally have people be like, I wish you would do more just the you talking about sales figures. And I'm like, oh, <sighs> is, is this my own bot? Did I design my own bot to harass me? So uh, I'm just, I'm really excited to uh, to talk about all this stuff with you. Me too, man. Uh, and it's been a an interesting week. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I can't wait to cover some crazy drops with you guys. But real quick, if you want to check out some other amazing stuff from us, please feel free to check out the HTML pod, uh, which is a feed that contains a bunch of the awesome tv show stuff movie stuff gaming stuff music stuff that we love and we love to bring you you can check that out it's over on cage club as well at cage club dot uh what is it it's uh cage club hold on i'm so embarrassed i don't know the website this is terrible uh it's cage club dot me slash html you can also check it out over on megaphone uh via html right uh don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is over at X is for show on YouTube. We would love to have you guys there. There's exclusive stuff there. There's exclusive stuff here. You got to look everywhere to find everything. And uh, if you like some of the music that we play over on the YouTube channel, uh, my arrangements of different score, uh, pop music, especially for our drag race episodes, we do a lot of pop music. Uh, you can check that out over on my SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Nico dash J dash But all of these links are over in the description for this episode that you just downloaded. Okay, so TK, I want to ask you a question, right? Now, earlier this week, you read Jean Grey number one, and it led you to some feels. And then I'm, I'm just scrolling the internet, uh, looking at websites that have been overtaken by AI bots. Mm-hmm. And um, I see this article that says that Mark Millar basically says that if the old guard don't come back and save comics, we're all doomed. And I feel like between that and uh, what you were talking about with me earlier this week, I feel like uh, this was exactly the right week to come back with a season premiere. Yeah. Um... Oh, man. And, you know, we were talking about that Millar quote, and I, oh, man, I I think there's something really interesting there, but I don't want to just give it a free pass. I agree. It's actually really tricky, because I, I think there is something about the way he says what he says. The quote he gives is, uh, I think we've got to man the stations. I think everybody's got to come in and do a couple of projects and find an artist who's as good as you can possibly get and just do some killer run on something. The retailers, they're struggling out there. They're dying. All my friends and retailers are saying it's never been. They've never known it as hard as this. And his proposals uh, talk about getting like the same artist that he's working with on his own company uh, and having them come out and do like big runs on books. He adds, the success comes from the industry. I'm not talking about as individuals, as creators. Kind of saying that he knows that if Marvel and DC don't do well, Miller World doesn't do well. And that's just the reality of it. Uh, He goes on to say there are some great books. There's two or three good books, I think, at DC. But there needs to be 20 great books. And, okay, my take. If what Mark Millar is saying is it can be very difficult to get a fickle, 
mindless fan base to come out and buy. And I say mindless as one of them. When the X-Men say, oh, we're relaunching, I go, okay. Right? Mm. Um, it can be a lot to get a fan base to come out for something new. So it takes the old guard walking the new guard in to make it happen. Uh, I don't know, guys. I'm having a lot of trouble when I see some of these writers the older writers come back to Marvel and have Spider-Man need to have what TikTok is explained to him. I understand that this writer needed that explained to them at 66. But if Spider-Man's 34 and a superhero on TikTok, I don't think you need to have somebody explain to him what TikTok is. Yeah. um, I think I love the idea that the old guard and the people who have been very successful uh, should figure out a way to use their cachet and their power in the industry and the power of their name to whip up some sales. I, I think that is great, you know, and I, the idea of doing it for comic book shops, especially uh, I really like that. I have a couple local shops in my town that I really do want to see succeed. Uh, and I would love to see them get get help with that. At the same time, I feel that the idea that, you know, Neil Gaiman, Bendis, Millar all showing up at Marvel offices and saying, put us to work on, on two-year runs – it sounds really neat on paper, but I don't think it actually solves the problems that we're talking about. And kind of a lot of them being the problems we were talking about earlier in the show when we're saying, like, maybe we are dropping down to one shots that are a little bit longer. The nature of buyers and the natures of this medium is just changing. Digital is changing things. And I don't know that. Mark Millar showing up and saying, like, put me to work is actually solving the problem. And in the meantime, it's really kind of undoing the work. Of, it's kind of minimizing the work of people like uh, Torin Grimbeck, like Alyssa Wong, like uh, Leah Williams. Oh, wow. So you're naming a lot of non-male, non-white folk who would be erased by exactly what Mark Millar is saying that winds up sounding sort of only men, only white people, only people who have ever had power can have power. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. And then we get to a book like Jean Grey where the person from the old guard who's coming in is Louise Simonson. And Louise Simonson is not Mark Millar. Louise Simonson, uh, is I think an incredible creator and I'm eager to buy any book that she is on. Uh, well, and I shouldn't say any, you know, I'm not buying Louise Simonson's Moon Knight run. I'm sorry. I'm just not doing it. Uh, I don't care about Moon Knight enough, but I'm Wait, really, is, is Louise Simonson going to write Moon Knight? No, but it would, oh, were God. that book to come out, <laughs> I'm it's speculatively, if they were to be like, guys, get hyped. Louise Simonson's here to write Moon Knight. I would not be purchasing that. But uh, Jean Grey writing, or <laughs> Louise Simonson writing Jean Grey, I am perfectly excited for. That said, we have seen some of the real old guard, and I'm talking about Anne Nascenti, uh, Chris Claremont, Louise Simonson. Thomas. Literally. Uh, Roy, yep, Roy, Roy Thomas, Thomas Larry the Hama. The 1960s came back yep. to write X-Men Legends in 2022. Yep. 
and it, right, it was X Men Legends because what they get is this uh, off continuity, like it technically happened, but um, it cannot affect any future continuity. It can't say anything definitive that is different about a character. It is a story that has to fit seamlessly or not at all. And, you know, Chris Claremont got a Gambit book that is this, and Nascenti got a Storm book that is this. Uh, and it seemed like, based on the timing of when it was coming out, that uh, Louise Simonson's Jean Grey book would not be the same type of thing. And we are only at issue one. It remains to be seen. It might be something different, and I think it will be a little different. But ultimately, it is... Not a present day, this is what happened to Jean after the last time you saw her, which was at the Hellfire Gala. This is what happened from, from there on out. This is kind of a retrospective look at her life, and it's kind of a, um, oh God, what is that uh, Christmas movie? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Wonderful Life. Yeah. Um, it's a kind of, it's a Wonderful Life thing that I think, you know, somewhere five, between five to 10 pages of the full run will contain like, and this is what will happen to Jean after we suss all this out or like, and you know, as she looks through this, what might've been, she hears the call of the Phoenix and that's how she's going to show back up uh, in present continuity at a later time. But it is not like, we saw Jean go through something horrific at the Hellfire Gala, and then she woke up, and Louise Simonson is writing her next week after that in the same way uh, that, like, Denise Camp's Children of the Vault is Cable and Bishop's immediate days after the, the ramifications of the Hellfire Gala. Uh, so, you know, when I think about the, the kind of what the industry tends to want to do with the old guard. I don't know that Millar, I think he's wrong for minimizing all the amazing creators that, you know, don't sell in the same way that he does. But I also think he's kind of overestimating, uh, what happens to a lot of these like really well-loved and respected creators when they show up and say, put me to work. And it's one of the things that I'm really glad that we're talking about, uh, the nature of like kind of the gender line that exists because I'm not here to say that every run of Daredevil ever has been collected, but every run of Daredevil since 1998 has been collected. In fact, the only runs like significant length of Daredevil that have not been collected since roughly 1975 are Anne and D.G. Chichester's. DG Chichester's run is kind of a funny footnote. It's the armor. It's a, it's not a great time. That's like when the Daredevil versus Vapora, that's either that little kid who's going to drink gasoline and die. Don't drink gasoline. Kids one shot came out. It's ridiculous. Um, so it, it's sort of like though, in many ways, and is the run that gave us typhoid Mary. She's the run that really uh, moved kingpin into the center really examined matt's daddy issues so it's a little hard for me sometimes that uh when you look at things like the line of omnibus editions people like Anne nascenti and louise simonson are deeply overlooked while and i'm not necessarily trying to start anything because i'm a fan of a lot of these people but the 
Marvel Universe byline is absolutely frustrating to me. There are a line of books that are just certain people. Uh, Marvel Cosmic by Donnie Cates. There's Marvel Universe by Chris Claremont, which just features like random things like War is Hell 9 to 15, Black Goliath 2 through 5, Captain Britain 1 through 10, Contest of Champions 2 from 1998 or so, 1 through 5, Mechanics 1 through 6. Like, it's just such random stuff. John Byrne has two. Uh, there's one for Rob Liefeld. How frustrating. Uh, Art Adams has one. But there's nothing like that that even collects Anne Nesenti's work linearly in the first place, let alone like a special celebration title. So, I don't know. I think when we're talking about the old guard, one of the things Marvel would have to do, and DC for that matter, is sort of recognize the discussion power, the sales power. And that's something we're seeing over in television with like shows like Suits being so powerfully streamed, even though they were canceled at some point. You know, when you look at like the numbers for Friends, Friends went off air at like one third of its greatest success. But evidently the whole show streams really well according to some recent articles that it's like a continuous success yeah typhoid mary is a continuous success i'm sorry that we've never had a chance to buy her omnibus to prove it but typhoid mary it made the move from daredevil villain to x-man that's not a not something a lot of people can say it's really not so I think, you know, what I really want to get at is we're seeing this shift in creative teams, right? But we're also kind of not seeing the shift in creative teams. And I'm left asking who Mark Millar is talking about when he says there's only two or three good books. I don't mean I want him to say which books are good. I sort of mean I want some accounting for who in this industry who is selling at Marvel or DC do you think isn't good? Like, I'm curious to know what someone like Mark Millar, who, by the way, when Mark Millar makes a book, it just does sort of get an omnibus. There's no arguing it. Uh, he has an Ultimate Avengers omnibus. He has a Fantastic Four omnibus. He has an Ultimates omnibus. He has uh, a Wolverine omnibus for Old Man Logan and Enemy of the State. So, you know, this guy who's done a grand total of 30 issues on Wolverine has an omnibus of his 30 issues of Wolverine. Right. Um, so we're talking about a guy who experiences qualities of privilege. And while, you know, he is someone who's worked civil war, you, you can't fight civil war sold. You can't fight kick-ass sold. What you can say is the critical reflection on those things are they sold because of their era and the advantage they took of a political climate. But having just reread Civil War this week, the seven issues of Civil War are pretty unevenly weak. They don't explore. They sort of set a stage and leave everything else to explore. If that is what Mark Millar is saying is representative of the stewardship that could come back and save comics, I don't know vaguely saying, I don't know, man, politics, the fuck, is really going to be as revolutionary now 
he's doing a sequel to his comic series, his comic series Wanted, by uh, sort of creating a Millar verse in a series called Big Game, which he's doing with Pepe Larraz. And uh, I think that's really cool. But what it sounds like is Mark Millar is saying that comics aren't being. I don't know. Is he saying that comics really need to just stay the same and never change? Does he say that the only way to save them is to go back to older creators and keep doing the same old things that are the things that audiences are literally saying are why they won't buy books anymore? Yeah. I mean, I think he also really forgets that uh, being the it artist can last a lot shorter than being a writer getting the same kind of steady work. I mean, when was the last time anybody kind of fiended for Joe mad art the way that like, there is somebody there's still an audience for a Chris Claremont book, no matter what I might not love what they do with the Chris Claremont book. I might see that it's out of continuity, but uh, there's still there's still a place for Claremont. There's still a place for Nascenti. There's still a place for Wheezy. There's still a place for all of these creators where I don't see a lot of the artists that were their contemporaries. Meanwhile, you know, people like uh, R.B. Silva, Pepe Larras, Martin Cocolo, they're doing really great right now, but we burn these people out and we move on to whatever kind of the next visual trend is. Uh, we don't treat any of the creatives in comics very well, but we treat them poorly in different ways. And I, by we, I mean the industry, because I think the fans always want to do right by creatives. But yeah, we do get a little mindless with the stories and we do kind of forget that when we want to see what happens next with the X-Men, the house that owns the X-Men has kind of not done right by all of the creatives that, made the last story keep us excited and it's a really complicated interaction between a lot of different factors i like i said i go back to the idea that i would love if people with a lot of influence would use that to help keep the industry afloat but i don't think keeping the industry afloat is the problem i think the problem is the industry's uh much more the industry's problems that go far beyond not having the Millars of the world show up and offer to do two year runs, those problems, the problems with like, what are we actually doing with digital? Uh, it seems like Amazon is kind of trying to offload the comiXology store, but now Marvel literally doesn't have its own store and has no plans for getting it back. Uh, there are just so many questions that have nothing to do with, we don't have strong enough creative teams, but really have to do with what is the nature of how people casually consume this product? What is the nature of how fandom consumes this product? And what is a way that people can make a living making great work and that fans can read and consume something they enjoy those are really the questions we need to be wrestling with and trying to figure out not like oh who can we get to come back and fix things and you know just to jump back a second and exactly what you're saying we burn out these artists right yeah. and i think we don't realize how many of them have been artists since we were kid right like I think about the fact that Mark Millar has been making comics at Vertigo since I was a kid. I think about the fact that I grew up with Anne Nascenti and Wheezy, like being names I knew and now like they're on Twitter and like you can just talk to them. 
Uh, and I think about sort of like like when Carlos Pacheco passed away at 60 in uh, 2022, uh, you know, one of my first thoughts was like, I remember him doing Excalibur in like 97 when I was a kid. So like I was 11. And when you're 11, you don't realize that somebody who is a professional in comics, you know, in 1997, the guy was, you know, 36 years old or, you know, yeah, 36 years old. So you don't realize that he's going to keep working for years and years and years. And it's not like sports where like when you hit 35, you know, they all start to tell you when you walk into the room, your shadow sort of has a score of a death dirge behind it. You know, in comics, they sort of let you work yourself to death. And there's a lot to be said for the fact that a lot of these old timers do need the work. Just unfortunate, but it's true. A lot of these older timers really need that. And I say old timers, but I mean people who wrote uh, like when I first started trying to write. So like I'm an old timer, I guess, because like I've been trying to get in this industry for 15 years now. So like, you know, I'm on that list. But like the older guard, um, you know, they need the work. They need the the time in the sun. But like, I think something Marvel might need to do is they might need to figure out how to create eras, right? Kind of like DC's done a little bit, but like, they may need to be able to say, oh, this story takes place in a world where there is no Krakoa because we've reached a point in our storytelling where like the people who don't want to play nice with the present just don't want to play nice with the present. And they're not going to. They're not going to bend over backward to try and make room for it. They're going to sort of belabor the point. And once Krakoa has been around long enough that they just kind of settled into it and are used to those trips and those tropes and that's just what they want to do. They'll be kind of annoyed when it's gone. I'm sure there's the 10 writers that are going, yes, it's almost over, finally! But like, you know, they suck. So I think what I want most from this whole discussion and this, you know, really bizarre Malar quote is I want a little bit more accountability for the fact that it is just as much the company's. It is just as much Marvel continuing to do things that we're all making fun of. We are all making fun of the Hellfire Gala being an annual event. And I understand that it's easier to keep pushing the same thing over and over again. But isn't it only easier to do that until it's not? And then suddenly you have to cancel all of the books. Deadpool had like four titles at the height of Deadpool until Alyssa Wong brought the character back. There had been no Deadpool book for like uh, four months following Kelly Thompson's book ending. We went from a world where there were always several Deadpool books to a world where there was a couple of months of no Deadpool. So that leaves me sort of curious as to how we can't see that if you do overdo a thing like the Hellfire Gala, it's going to have diminishing results. There should have been the Hellfire Gala, in my opinion, you know, not that I'm definitely right, but Hellfire Gala. And then mutant rebirth day and it's a it's a holiday and that's a different story and is yeah. it like the hellfire gala yeah but then it means i'm not getting a hellfire gala once a year that can't be once a year because everything else in storytelling is literally telling me it's only been six weeks literally for everything else to work it has only been six weeks because otherwise i'm gonna need them to acknowledge how show goes not five soon and that is something that, like, you know, we are getting to a point where I, for years, I've had a an idea for, like, a, 
a Secret Wars-esque event where ultimately the big reveal is Franklin just isn't comfortable with aging. It freaks him out. He doesn't know what to do. And so he has been messing with time this entire time. And that's why the X-Men that started in the 60s, you know, have to, if they ever flash back in 2023 to when they first went to Xavier's, they now look younger. They, they look like they went to school after I was in college. Um, where like, you know, at that time it should have been the Academy X kids, but it just doesn't work otherwise. And so it's, that's like just kind of a, a joke about just the, like the general idea of how you would ever fix this silly thing that happens with comics where like, you know, they hit on a great idea with the hellfire gala. So now they've done three of them in a time period where that just shouldn't exist. And a really simple story solution would just be that the Krakoans like to party and they throw a party like once every five weeks. Uh, it's like how the community, uh, how the Dean throws a dance like every few episodes. That's just in one year. They do so many dances. Like there are ways to get through this issue with creative storytelling and thinking. Um, and I, I feel like we haven't even tapped a lot of those fun in story, silly ideas that allow us to have our cake and eat it too. And already we're talking about like, uh, big gestures that creators ought to make to save this industry when it's like, no, maybe we really just could tighten a few meta plot concepts and, you know, experiment with how we publish stories a little bit more. Because it's that sort of fear that I think has led us into some unusual places. And I'm really glad you brought up digital comics and that we've kind of talked about Omnibuy a little bit. Because something that's really presently on my mind at the moment is I do not believe, and I'm being, you know, really uncool here when I say this, and, you know, I'm going to show my age a little bit, I guess, but like, I don't think it's any company's response. Oh, I'm my young age. Sorry. Uh, I don't think it's any company's responsibility to fucking take care of me. I also don't think that any company is actually loyal to me. I don't think there's any company I'm going to work for in my lifetime where the corporate interest can best take care of me because corporate interest is not personal interest. So, you know, sort of with that in mind, when people are like, oh my God, did you hear Disney Plus is getting rid of things? I was like, yeah, okay. And they're like, no, how can they do that? Well, yeah, Marvel doesn't republish everything, you know. You know, there are still some miniseries that have never, ever been reprinted, right? Like, companies daydreamers truly (laughs) companies have the right to do with their media what they want to do it's just unfortunate when the reality hits oh marvel isn't in the habit of making dreams marvel is in the habit of making um, money money yeah of making books and One of the things that I think is a little bit necessary to think about with that is I kind of tried to stop buying, uh, altogether I tried to stop buying omnibus editions. They're just a little too expensive, by the way. Side note, June 6th of this past year, Generation X Epic Collection number three, The Secret of M contains Generation X 24 to 32, negative one, annual 97, X-Men Unlimited number 16, Marvel Team-Up number 1, Generation X Underground number 1, and Daydreamers 1 through 3. 
So there you go. There you go. It literally took until 2023. Right. After all this time, we finally got it, which just just goes to show you, like, you know, there's stuff that hasn't been published, but it could be published at any minute. But there's also no grand plan. Yeah. You got to shout until you get it, like kind of seriously. Right. Yeah. So uh, I want to say that with things like the possibility that I don't think Marvel Unlimited is going anywhere, but Comixology, uh, I think Amazon might sell the name. But they always just wanted the interface and the back catalog for Kindle. Right. That was only, you know, that was always the goal. Right. So with that said, I'm kind of back to buying Omnibuy editions now. So, uh, and once a year, we do an Omnibus edition. And uh, it turns out, I, we had an additional, you know, a, re- a different episode goal for today, originally planned. And uh, I messaged Teak this morning and was like, you know, if we're doing this episode today, if we are going to try and rush this out real quick, um, I want to add something else to it. I want to talk about Omnibus Editions because I just got Daredevil Volume 2 a couple of months late, but finally got it. And um, I looked online and the last time we did an Omnibus Edition was 2022 and it was August 31st. So it's like a week away. And it, you know, when I looked up the first episode of the show, the first episode of the show ever was September 1st. So just kind of a good day to go back to some stuff that we've always done, always had such a good time doing. And uh, it just felt really nice to kind of take a look at what I'd always loved about comics, uh, try to remember it and get back into the swing of things the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, looking over a list of omnibus is always a really good way to do it. You know, omnibus are amazing because they are kind of the records of the comics world in so far as, you know, I'll complain about the state of music all day long. I'll complain about, people publishing one minute 30 second songs and thinking that constitutes a full track uh you know i'll lament how artists aren't getting paid enough how people are ripping off other people the music industry has just all kinds of problems and it's really rough to see and there are absolutely mark millars of the music industry talking about how if you know fleetwood mac will just reunite and put out new music will finally save the record industry. But at the end of the day, the music industry is what it is, and there's great stuff and there's bad stuff, and so much of it is subjective. But boy, do I love my record collection, and do I love the records that I select specifically to hang on my wall. Um, do I love when you know an artist that I love, like Tori Amos, announces that she is for the 20th anniversary of Scarlet's Walk, releasing a new red vinyl edition. And I managed to get it before it sells out, which I never do. Um, and it's really the same with omnibus editions. Like there, I have all kinds of problems with comics. You've heard me bitching for this entire segment, but you know, I still am really excited to get that big brick of pages uh, to, to, put on my bookshelf and you know i don't even like crack them open and and go nuts on them all the time because that's what i have digital editions for and that's why i have such a like extensive collection that i can access and never hurt but these i want you know as part of just like a physical manifestation of my love for the medium and it's why i'm so careful with some of these and it's why i'm so like anal about protecting them not because like oh they're worth so much money and some of them are i guess maybe not the way i've read them but uh 
you know, I like the way they sit on my my wall. I'm never going to listen to my blue see-through Tori Amos Ocean to Ocean records or my pink under the pinks or my upcoming Scarlet Scarlets. I'm just not going to, even though I know the Scarlet evidently is like a high quality remaster that she's really excited for everyone to hear because I don't have a record player and speakers that I think are going to produce better quality than my phone. And for that reason, I don't buy records because I can't wait to play them. I buy records because they are wall art representative of my love of something. Admittedly, omnibus editions are a very expensive way to do that, but they also contain the 100 issues. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they've got it. So there's a, been some weird changes in omnibus editions lately, though. Uh, a lot of the bindings just look fucking stupid now together. Because when Omnis, and like, I'm going to try and set a stage for you here. Like, no jokes here about bigger is better. No, you know, the fact that they named the goddamn ice cream bar Magnum and then show a woman fitting the whole thing in her mouth. No, no jokes about that. Actual. In the 1990s, if you were around for that, you'll remember. And if you weren't, you'll know from watching television, TVs were huge. And it's because the technology needed to be that big. So part of why TVs would like take up a whole wall at one point was because bigger was better. And in order to be bigger, you literally had to physically be bigger. Now, technology allows us to be bigger without being actually larger. So you can have a very thin, very light television mounted on a wall that doesn't need three feet of depth space. So... In regard to the fact that the visual of aesthetics has changed, a lot of our understanding of the world has changed. When it had to be bigger, it had to be bigger. But now, we understand how to have a lot finer spacing, and there's a lot more options for people with uh, visual impairment. Not that everybody is eligible, but there's more options. And so Marvel has decided to really lean into modernism and really shrink the font on these spines and sometimes they add a big character and sometimes they add a strip that looks like uh, the cover these spines look so stupid together now and i'm not going out and buying a seventh edition of uncanny x-men volumes one and two so they'll look like the only edition of five it's a really frustrating thing that has really uh maligned the quality of my bookshelf but uh, i bring that all up to say there is not going to be another uncanny x-men volume as far as we can tell uh uncanny x-men one through five which what an unbelievable gift it's done and i i mean that because like in a lot of ways it is one of the costlier volumes to collect uncanny x-men uh has completed its gigantic omnibus run with 94 and better known as you know giant size x-men number one with 94 all the way through 209 collected tons of one shots tons of specials appearances annuals etc but it's of note that the mutant massacre the first major x-men event starts with 210 and is already collected in its own mutant massacre volume set which leads directly into the fall of the mutants, which leads directly into Inferno prologue, which leads directly into Inferno, which leads again, directly into a set of volumes, X-Men by Chris Claremont and Jim Lee volumes one and two. The next 
major thing that needs to be released by the Marvel Omnibus team is something that represents the extinction agenda. Because at the moment, that is like the one major thing missing from the X-Men's classic oeuvre. And what does that go up to? When when do we break from classic era and get to current era? And what are we missing really big from current era? It's a little tricky to talk about. So, like, if we're talking classic, classic, 1 through 66 is collected in two Stan Lee volumes. Yeah. Like we just said, Uncanny Proper, you know, 94 through uh, 243 in five volumes. Then it's about 100 issues through... Um, you know, uh, special hardcovers are the 209 and then uh, 210, about 100 issues. So then the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont volumes pick up at uh, 244. They skip Extinction Agenda, but run through 280, right? And then they switch over to Adjectiveless X-Men number one. There is no accounting in omnibus form for... I want to say X-Men 10 through, I don't know, 40 maybe. and oh, the, Yeah, wow. 40, because that's where um, Age of Apocalypse starts. Oh, and wow. there's no accounting for Uncanny X-Men 281 to 320. Oh, wow. Then uh, the next major period where there is consistency, because there's just a bunch of, there's like a mess for a right. hot minute. Right. It's um, like a Scattershot, which is an annual collection and has some one-shots. There's... Uh, the Wedding of Cyclops and Jean Grey that is sometimes called a hardcover, sometimes called an omnibus. Then there's Legion Quest. Then there's the Age of Apocalypse Companion and Age of Apocalypse. That kind of is the only real body of work in omnibus form in that time. There's nothing for Operation Zero Tolerance yet. There's nothing for that whole period. Uh, we kick back in at uh, a pretty solid run forever. It's X-Men versus Apocalypse the 12, which starts with Uncanny 371 and Adjectiveless 91 to 99. Then we get Revolution by Claremont, which represents 100 to 109 and 381 to 389 of Adjectiveless and Uncanny, respectively. At that point, it's New X-Men. It's Extreme X-Men, which first volume has come out. The second one is coming out in August of 2024, and that represents the complete original Extreme X-Men. Still missing from that time is the one of my personal favorites and uh, just a really underappreciated run on a title, the Joe Casey run on Uncanny is Not Collected, nor is the I Wouldn't Waste My Time With It Chuck Austin run. At that point, it's going to be up to Marvel what they want to do because the unbelievable line-wide reset that Astonishing X-Men offered through the reload is... It's extraordinary what that does. Um, you could do an omnibus edition of everything of the new X-Men Academy X-Kids because it's 13 issues of New Mutants. It's one issue of, X, of X-Men Unlimited, so that's 14 issues. And then it's the 20 issues of the series. It's like 40-issue omnibus. They do that all the time now. Yeah. You could knock out the Claremont stuff up to House of M in a single omnibus. You could get rid of that no problem. So... They're in a position where they're going to need to make a lot of decisions. Do we collect by era? Do we collect by crossover? You know, I know that like there's stuff that they regret. I, there's no way they don't regret it because when you take a look at some of the like early Wolverine omnibuys, 
they kind of stole from themselves repeatedly and then wound up having to give it back. So now that Wolverine is on volumes four and five, four comes out in like two weeks and uh, five comes out next year. They're in a position where like the first volume contains 1974 to 1991. It's got uh, his origin issues or early origin issues. It's got some random one shots. Then the next one is 1988 to 1991. Kind of. It's proper early Wolverine plus some one shots. And it just doesn't really clear up. There's a lot of, oh, why is this here in the way early Wolverine is collected? And so I wonder if they could go back the way they've re-released Captain Britain Expanded uh, early Captain Britain Omnibuy didn't include any of the Captain Britain weekly stories uh, that were all contained in two hardcovers, Siege of Camelot and The Birth of a Legend, Volumes 1 and 2 by Panini Press, which were two hardcovers uh, from a while back. That all got reprinted in an expanded omnibus edition. So, I mean, they've got a lot of choices to make, my friend. Anything that you're particularly excited for? Well, so we've got a list. We've got a really good list here. Um, Excalibur Volume 3, which six years ago would have probably been called Excalibur by Warren Ellis, but uh, now they probably want to call it uh, Excalibur, Please Don't Judge Who It's By. Uh, That'll be pretty nice, because then there can only be one more volume of uh, classic Excalibur and Omnibus, and then it's just got to be done. Uh, It does, when you Google it, say Excalibur Omnibus Volume 3 by Scott Lobdell and Marvel. Yeah, that's uh, not a big surprise there. Uh, Extreme X-Men Volume 2, it's a little shocking that they're doing this one all said and done now because they've done another Extreme X-Men miniseries and they're saying they're going to do yet another. So unless they're going to let him add up to like 50 more fucking issues of that book, I don't know why they're doing it because everything is about the big collection. I know X-Factor is getting Peter David Volume 3, which is Volume 3 of 4 for the Peter David years. But then they're actually going to do an X-Factor, the original X-Men Volume 1, which uh, if you look at the numbers, it's only going to take two of it, and then that's it. Then they're done printing original X-Factor omnibus. Yeah. I mean, it really seems like they're trying to blow through a lot of this stuff. I mean, there's stuff that they're reissuing, like Uncanny X-Force by Rick Remender is getting another printing which, great, uh, there's somebody out there who likes it. Uh, Alpha Flight by John Byrne is getting another printing, which is great. But then there's stuff I'm a little bit confused about, and maybe somebody could help me get it a little better. Now, I don't blame them for the situation with New Mutants. The New Mutants annuals are a little hinky because New Mutants itself was collected, it was released a little poorly, perhaps. And so... Uh, New Mutants Volume 3 is not just going to contain New Mutants 55 to 85, which is kind of like the the waning years, really. It's kind of like post-Fall of the Mutants, and uh, it's everything up to Liefeld starting. It's, it's a really rough time. I do enjoy the Valkyrie story, but it's not a great era. It does have Spellbound Number 4, which is, of course, like our thing. We love Spellbound so much. Uh, it also includes Exterminators 1 through 4. That means whatever comes next can only be New Mutants Prelude to X-Force because the actual X-Force omnibus proper starts at issue number... Hold on, I'm pulling it up. I got all of this ready to go, right? Uh, The actual X-Force omnibus starts at New Mutants 98. So there's only 13 uncollected issues and... 
I want to say four of them are part of a crossover. So they might even just stick all of that New Mutants X-Force crossover stuff in an Extinction Agenda omnibus to get it out the door and fill in that X-Force gap. Because that's something they've done a number of times as well. But I have to say, there is one thing on this list that I actually am very excited about. Oh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I think it's where my cursor is. And I'm really excited if that's what it is, in part because I really want to know a little bit about it from you. If you can make the argument, we'll find a way to do a shortcut and we'll, we'll do it right. But talk to me if it's the thing I think it is. Oh, no, I, I've highlighted the wrong thing. I've highlighted the total wrong thing. Did I highlight the right thing? You did oh. not highlight the right oh, thing. No, because I'm not even anywhere near it. I meant this. Yes, uh, that's like, the one. I'm like, I'm nowhere near it. <laughs> like, we're in a shared document trying to make this show way more professional than it used to be. <laughs> I'm making it so hard. We are talking about X Men 2099. Uh, the abomination from the 90s you know i can't i can't necessarily make like the best case ever for this but 2099 represents to me a really fascinating take on the idea of marvel's future And the idea of the future of some of their characters, especially like this idea that we wouldn't be looking at like, you know, the the grandchildren of Cyclops and Phoenix, that we wouldn't be looking at a lot of name recognition, but that we would, you know, I think in the 90s, most shows weren't really or most properties weren't really brave enough to be like, imagine a world in which nothing that you have focused on really matters anymore. I think that's much more I think that's very ahead of its time. Uh, and that's what I really I just as a young comic book reader, it was the first time somebody really pointed out to me like. Yeah, the X-Men are all going to die and nobody's really going to care about them. Like the these gods that you have in comic book form aren't going to matter forever. Even in universe, that's not realistic. Because it was such a weird pro- oh god, you're making the argument. Okay. Um you're not even making so, the argument you think you're making, but you're I making know. the argument, you know. And in times like this, um, in times of trouble, I turn to uh, one website above all others. I turn to the Travis Starnes Complete Marvel Reading Order. Uh, he has novels out now and stuff. I don't know if they're good, but I really hope they are so that I can just be like, go support this man who's made my fandom possible. Yeah. Oh, gosh. This is this is insane. Are you kidding me? There's only 320 total stories in the entire 2099 canon universe. Yep. That's really because, you know, I think, like I said, I think it was an idea ahead of its time. And we immediately went back to, no, if it's the future, it's days of future past. It's, uh, you know, whatever future cable goes to that is still related to Jean Grey and Cyclops. All right, well, we, hold on. Hold on. I hear you. I'm not yeah. I'm not stopping you. No, no, no. I'm, go, go, go. I'm encouraging you. Listen. Yeah. Listen, I'm serious. We need something to do after JMS. Let's do this. Okay. I'm totally down. 
Uh, we've got a great reading order. Um, you know, most of this stuff can be found in my personal long boxes. So, uh, you know, not too hard to like feel it, smell it, know what it's like. Yeah, I mean, let's jump into 2099 after this. It's something I know so little about. Most of my 2099 knowledge comes from like trading cards and the research I've done on this show for other projects. So, yeah. all right. Yeah, I'm in. But this will be an interesting omnibus. I'll be fascinated to see if it feels worthwhile or if it just feels like kind of a haphazard pulling together of enough elements to call it X-Men 2099. Well, one thing that is very nice is while there is a very limited amount of collected 2099, the Spider-Man 2099 collection is pretty complete to the original mm. run. No and surprise there. there. Yeah. And then there's a 2014 to 2017, more of 2099 when he came to the present and all the stuff we love. Uh, so then when I'm taking a look at the X-Men one, I'm expecting to be a little disappointed. I'm expecting to see that, you know, it's missing stuff. Nope. All the stuff for all the crossovers is presented. It is properly X-Men 2099, uh, 1 to 35, plus uh, special number one, Spider-Man 2099, 16, Ravage 2099, 15, Doom 2099, 14, Punishment 2099, 13, uh, X-Men 2099 Oasis, which is a pretty well-regarded in terms of like everyone recognizes it, one shot, and uh, X-Men X-Nation 2099, one through six is all of it. So, you know, it's there. It's less than you think, man. It's crazy. So a couple of other things that are maybe less than you think uh x-men the hidden years is getting an omnibus i'm actually not knocking x-men the hidden years i'm just kind of knocking that it's getting an omnibus when there's a lot of stuff that's like canony that needs to be released uh, uh house of m companion listen you're gonna get my hot takes on this when we do jms spider-man but house yep. of m is not very good uh specifically the eight issue mini is not very good uh it's poorly paced and actually it <sighs> Okay, it's actually my same problem with Civil War, just to be really honest, for one second, without getting too, because I'm not going to be able to compare them on, on the show at the time. The problem with both of them is they both kind of read like a writer had a great idea for an arc. And if the writer had only been responsible for shaping eight issues of the Avengers being trapped in House of M, then it would have worked. If it had only been seven issues of an Avengers book that civil war was happening in it could have worked but the problem is you're expecting 32 pages to do the lifting of 144 so then civil war feels thin house of m feels thin and i'm told go read the other books to get it all filled in yeah you know what i'm pretty comfortable saying most of these main writers on these main miniseries are not really considering what these tie-ins are doing so now i'm reading the house of m spider-man story and can't figure out why Spider-Man having his entire life ripped apart and ruined doesn't, like, days leading up to the House of M story, like, does not come up once. He is literally a broken man with nothing left in House of M. Doesn't come up once. So then, is House of M Spider-Man really 
a story that matters, if it clearly doesn't even inform the eight pages of Spider-Man, well, hold on. This is why you needed to use Spider-Man, because Spider-Man's experience as a young man is something that we can so identify that by perverting that experience, we completely understand that this universe is bonkers, because even Spider-Man's universe is bonkers, and we know Spider-Man. We know his world, right? So then with something like Civil War... You need to make it clear that everybody in the entire Marvel Universe cares one way or another. They don't. You need to make it clear that everybody in the entire Marvel Universe can't stop talking about this. Sure, they can, Jam. And the problem is you're not showing me the motivation behind any character when you need to show me the actions of every character. There's only so much time, and you're just not managing it well when you're concerned about selling an issue, not telling a story. That's a fascinating perspective, and I'm really excited for us to get that deep into this JMS run coverage to really tie, like, look at how it ties into everything. Because I feel like ultimately what I'm thinking about here is the fact that, like, it starts to be circle back to being important around the time that we do the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I mean, and that's like part of what made this such an interesting read. The things that you don't realize where they come from. And uh, the reality of the dissemination of idea in a short period of time, you immediately see the differences in somebody's perspective on something, especially when it's like a shared moment. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much for uh, TK, who hasn't necessarily read all of it yet. But there are some really interesting choices in who gets to handle what parts of the fallout of the other. Um, you know, this big event that changes spider canon by making everything Spider-Man more magical than ever. It kind of doesn't. And when people who aren't writing, people who aren't JMS write Morlin, ah, oh, it's not the same. And so then when there's this huge piece of spider canon and there is like an actual spider god running around, And it's not JMS writing it because it's in one of the tie-in books. It's in one of the shared banner era title books. Oh my gosh. You can really see that even if everybody is writing toward the same thing, they're not writing the same thing at all. Well, I'm excited to get into it. I, uh, working kind of out of sequence with all of this stuff, you know, starting with uh, Spider-Girl getting into the Spider-Verse and then coming back to do this Origins. And sort of, I feel like by doing this Origins of the Spider-Verse, really it's doing the Origins of Spider-Man as he has to exist today. Because pre-JMS run Spider-Man bar a few really big details is pretty much just the setup of you know he's the guy he's written by the bitten by the radioactive spider you know his rogues gallery you know you know the big moments that's all the setup you need that's all the setup you need to start a new cartoon show that's all the setup you need to do like a non-616 spider-man story of any kind that you want but this is really the run that sort of sets up how you are to understand spider-man as you read zeb wells's amazing spider-man which is now in its 30 some odd issues and it's 
ultimately one of the things that I'm most gripped by in all of this. If you read the X-Men as hated and feared, Hellfire Gala is finally bringing it back where it goes for you. If you read X-Men as minority, Krakoa was kind of finally wish fulfillment for you. If you read the X-Men as superheroes getting into fights, then I don't know that you've ever lost your beat. And if you read Daredevil for Hell's Kitchen, I think you're in for a good year. If you read Daredevil for Magic in the Hand, you just had a great couple of years. There's sometimes, though, something that happens, and I'm not giving credence to what Mark Millar is saying. I'm kind of forming my own response. There is something that happens, though, where somebody, the quality of a Zeb Wells, who is as brilliant as Zeb Wells is, who writes as well as Zeb Wells does, providing me a book that does absolutely nothing for me the way a Zeb Wells book would. His Amazing Spider-Man leaves me very cold, and it doesn't get me thinking. It doesn't get me evolving my ideas. It feels, in many ways, like this era of Amazing Spider-Man has one directive. Make Spider-Man really linearly understandable. Take all of the what-if, right? Because, like, here's the thing. If we take a step back, Spider-Man is a web, right? And you can go up the science strand, the magic strand, the crime strand, the personal soap opera strand. You can go any strand of this web you need. I feel like the Zeb Wells run isn't going anywhere in an effort to not offend anyone who liked a different version. And to that then, I think what winds up happening sometimes is when people who are now you know, mainstays. Zeb Wells has been on Amazing Spider-Man since 2008. Left, did New Mutants. Left, came back and did Hellions. And now is on Spider-Man again. This isn't like Zeb Wells is a new baby writer. Zeb Wells has over 15 years of experience in this industry. He's kind of an old-timer now. Zeb Wells' Spider-Man does not evolve, advance, promote, or improve the quality of Spider-Man or its medium. It just exists and it sells books and that keeps people employed and that's a different kind of good thing but the answer simply can't be look back at this collection of omnibus editions and say that's where all of the talent is and then say put those people back on because what you're saying when you say just the people from then just the big names you're sort of denouncing the fact that uh Mark Millar has had a number of critical and commercial failures. And one of them was Trouble, the four-issue Spider-Man story about how Aunt May is the one who really got knocked up with Peter. So, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm not coming for Mark Millar. I, and I don't necessarily think Mark Millar was coming for anyone. But there is something to be said about pulling this all together, the way our coverage has had to evolve, the way comics has had to evolve, the way what we consider an old-timer has had to evolve, what books have gotten reprinted and what books haven't, that I think really is going to shape an unbelievable new season of X's for Podcast. And I really super-duper can't wait to do it with you. I'm stoked. We've got so much good stuff coming up. Uh I have never been more excited about comics in a completely different way than I've ever been excited about comics. Uh, these conversations that we keep having about what are really the, I'm not talking about like what's a really good 
X-Men story that if we could just tell it, things would be okay. Or like, what could be the next secret wars that really codifies everything? But like, really broadly, what, you know, I can't get over this kind of like you saying, and it's something you've said before, but it's really only hitting me today in the right way. Like, I, you saying I would buy a single issue, 60 page story, uh, like maybe more of those. There's so much to think about with what's happening in the world of comics. And there's so much to look at this 20 year old material that's still being mined. And ours is not to say like, yeah, nothing good has been written in 20 years. Therefore, that's why the, the JMS run still has so much content. No, it's just that really great runs actually do seed stuff that other people can pick up on for years to come in a way that sort of gives you a lineage and a tradition of great artists. And, you know, if I dislike anything about that Millar quote, it's that it sort of forgets that the world is for the next generation to pick up. And if I'm disappointed in Marvel, it's that they're not really giving the next generation the opportunity to pick up those threads and run with them the way that even 10 years ago and certainly 20 years ago they were doing. I can't. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just taking it and I'm like, yeah, man. yeah, right? there's a um, lot. There's a lot to talk about and we're going to do it from so many different angles. I'm excited for the weeks where it's new stuff and we really get to talk, you know, like I can't, I really cannot wait to talk to you about uh, Torin Grumbeck's Realm of X. I am stoked. We are not just talking about issue one, uh, but at the same time, like I'm digging into my JMS reading and I'm stoked to talk about that too. Uh, when some of these Omnis come out, I'm stoked to talk about both how they look and how they feel, but also like what it means that this is what's there and what's coming next. I think nothing exemplifies that best than the fact that you daydreamed it and now it's here, right? <laughs> and uh, you get to have, in fact, uh, Daydreamers 1 through 3 because you wanted it. You know what I mean? You yeah. asked for it, the internet needed it, and uh, Spellbound, we covered it, and now it's in New Mutants. I'm not saying it's in New Mutants because of us, but I'd like to think we were part of a cultural move that put it back on the map. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny, like Daydreamers, a great example, but also where's our Gen X omnibus? Like we're there's still so much stuff out there that we're waiting for. I'm still waiting to see where the other five issues of Spellbound wound up. Oh, man, it would be really great if they did a total collection of sort of like best of louise simonson omnibus after all the comments we made about her not getting one so i would love that well until we get one uh tk i can't stop naming the places people can find us it's uh on the youtube channel x is for show saturday mm -hmm. and sunday evenings right that's like five six eastern standard right mm -hmm. Uh, you can check out the music from the show over on SoundCloud at my SoundCloud page. That's Nico-J-Vasillo, right? Uh, you can check out the feed of our older episodes of the live reaction show from the YouTube on the HTML pod, uh, which you can check out at cageclub.me slash HTML. And uh, wow, that made me tired. So uh, great. But now where can everybody uh, find you? You can find me uh, all over social media, media at TK Elemental. That's on Twitter. That's on Blue Sky. That's on um, 
Instagram, uh, not on threads. I don't think it's ever going to be threads. You can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, everywhere at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And uh, you can find the show at X's for Show on all of those same places. And until next time, stay strong, be brave, evolve daily, and we'll see you. Bye.